Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Patriots fans, and welcome on into episode two of Pat's Pulpit Radio Rewind. Proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great people at SB Nation. I'm Mark Schofield, happy to be with you on today, Saturday, September 21st, as another weekend of football awaits. Now, each Saturday, Radio Rewind will bring you the best of what the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network had to offer over the course of the previous week from all three of our shows. From the flagship Pat's Pulpit podcast with Rich Hill and Alex Shane to Patriot Nation from Pat Lane and Ryan Spagnoli and the SCO Show with yours truly. In addition, this will give us a Pat's Pulpit a chance to get you caught up with any last-minute news before the weekend gets rolling. And as the season rolls on, we'll even work in some quick college ball discussion for you in case you're looking for games to watch or even players to scout on your Saturdays. Also, we've got some great music to bring you in and out of these shows. We just heard there's hope from Head of Music, and you can check them out at H-E-D-A-M-U-S-I-C.com. That's headofmusic.com. Now, don't forget, these are just snippets of the shows you will hear every day on the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network, and you can get these by subscribing to Pat's Pulpit via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to leave reviews for us as well. Five-star reviews, always appreciate, and please tell your friends, tell your loved ones to subscribe to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network. Now, obviously, you probably have heard by now that the Antonio Brown experience has come to an end in New England. Late Friday afternoon, the New England Patriots made the decision to move on from Antonio Brown and release him. This coming in the wake of a story Friday that when a second woman had accused Brown of sexual assault, he had, over the past couple of days, reached out to her, among others, in a group text in what was described by her lawyers as an intimidated and threatening manner. Robert Klemko over at Sports Illustrated posted screenshots of the text where he seemed to implore his lawyer and or others known to him to investigate her background, but he also included a picture of her with her children. It was viewed by her lawyers to be intimidated and threatened. They wanted the league and or the Patriots to step in. There was a report late in the day on Friday before he was released that the Patriots told him he could have no more contact with her. But it did seem like the handwriting was on the wall, so to speak, when during media availabilities of players such as Tom Brady, Julian Edelman, 
This was the main topic, was Antonio Brown. And then on top of that, you have Bill Belichick being extremely curt at the podium and then just shutting down a presser and walking away. I and others, when we saw that, I know there were some people on Twitter that pointed out, usually when Belichick wants to put something to bed, he will stand there and answer every single question and just until there's nothing else to say about it. Here, he shut it down and he walked away from the podium. When you see all of that, it becomes obvious that this is an issue that's not going to go away. And honestly, when you see sort of the decision by Brown to include this woman who has accused him of sexual assault in those group texts, which if you've accused somebody of something and you suddenly see him asking people to investigate you in a group setting and including pictures of your kids in a group setting, reasonable people would feel that was a threat. And that's how she felt. And it was a situation that the Patriots obviously believed that they had to just put an end to this And so they made the decision on Friday to move on from Brown. And so obviously he will not be part of their plans going forward. Now this does make you wonder about the on the field implications. A week ago, two weeks ago, it looked like the Patriots might have the best wide receiver group in all of football. That obviously takes a hit. And now you have other concerns. Injuries have mounted. Isaiah Wynn out. We were going to see backup, at least one backup tackle on the field Sunday, maybe two, depending on Marcus Cannon. The injury report released Friday. Some good news, some bad news. Patriots fullback James Devlin is out with a neck injury for the Patriots. Also on the injury report, with a questionable designation, Matt Lacoste with an ankle, Ryan Izzo with a calf, Marcus Cannon with a shoulder injury, and Shalit Calhoun, who has been given a non-injury-related designation, but also questionable. Now, interestingly, not on the report is Tom Brady with the calf injury. Again, I think that was part of managing his sort of expectations and his workload during his 20th year in the National Football League. But A.B. being released, that is the big story. Obviously, it's going to get a ton of coverage. Got a ton of coverage on Friday, of course. It'll get a ton of coverage this week, and I'm sure it will be a big topic of discussion during the game, during the broadcast on Sunday. But there was... Obviously, other stuff going on this week, and we're going to get to a lot more of that in a moment. But before we do that, let's not forget, we got football on Saturday, friends. Now, maybe you get a chance to watch a lot of the uh, the college stuff. Maybe you don't. But let me give you a couple of things to keep in mind if you get a chance to sort of sit down, relax, and watch some college football this weekend. We get a big one Saturday, noon kickoff. Camp Randall, Michigan at Wisconsin, number 11, Michigan at number 13, Wisconsin. Gus Johnson on the call. The Gus Johnson factor is in play. This should be a fantastic game. Obviously, people know Wisconsin traditionally has a tremendous offensive line unit, so you probably want to keep an eye on that group. But if you like running backs, Patriots probably not in the mix for a running back in next year's draft. Probably want to be able to get this guy, though. Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin is a tremendous talent. He's a track guy sprinter while he was in high school and even now a college of Wisconsin. You're getting him involved in the passing game, which is a big question on his draft prospects. He's got three touchdown catches in only two games this season. So he's a guy to keep an eye on. Some wide receivers from Michigan, Tariq Black and Nico Collins, as well as Donovan Peoples-Jones. Those three guys are very, very talented. Now, Peoples-Jones has been hurt so far. Michigan's hoping that he's going to debut on Saturday. 
that's a fantastic way to just start your college football afternoon. In the afternoon slate, get a couple of interesting games you probably want to keep an eye on. One I'll be watching a little bit, obviously, is Washington at BYU. Jacob Eason taking over for the Washington Huskies as their quarterback. Auburn at A&M at Texas A&M in the 3.30 hour as well. That's number 8 at number 17. That's going to be a fantastic game to watch. Big one at night. Obviously, the national game is going to get a ton of attention. Notre Dame, number 7 at Georgia, number 3. Tons of prospects in this game. Hey, if you think you want to roll the dice on another offensive tackle from Georgia, Andrew Thomas from Georgia is fantastic. And Notre Dame has some great edge rushers. Julian Okara. Khalid Kareem, those are some good guys to watch. That's going to be a fantastic matchup to watch those edge guys against Andrew Thomas on this Georgia offensive line. DeAndre Smith from Georgia, a lot of people saying he's RB1. Fantastic talent. He's impressive to watch. Two quarterbacks in this game, I wouldn't sleep on them either. Jake Fromm, he's that guy that people I think are going to like. Not incredibly athletically gifted, but he seems to be smart, seems to have good mechanics, seems to have good accuracy, the intangibles, the ball placement, the NFL is going to love him, I think. I kind of like Ian Book. He's flashed at times for me. So those are some players to watch on that Saturday night game as well. As we get late night, if some of you like me, you you dig sort of the Pac-12 or Mountain West after dark, you get a chance, CBS Sports, 10.30 p.m., Utah State at San Diego State. Why? Jordan Love. And I'm not just saying it because Utah State was kind enough to send me some swag for Jordan Love, including the the mints, the, the little candy hearts with love for Heisman on him. Jordan Love is extremely talented. He's a fantastic quarterback prospect. Again, playing out for Utah State doesn't get a ton of the buzz. The guys like you know Fromm and Eason and Fields and obviously Tua and Herbert and even Joe Burrow have gotten this year. He's a fun guy to watch. So if you're up late into the night watching football like I will be tonight, Utah State at San Diego San Diego State at 1030. So those are just some of the games to keep an eye on. There's there's obviously others. Clemson in action at home at 730. There's a big one at 8 in the Big Ten. If you're a Nebraska guy like me, Nebraska at Illinois, that's a bit of a divided loyalty for my household moment because my wife, born and raised in Nebraska, family, big Nebraska fans, But my wife went to the University of Illinois. So it's a bit of a divided loyalty moment in the Schofield household. Well, more like her household. But, you know, you know what I'm saying. But that would be an interesting one. Nebraska was supposed to be good this year, but they let me down. Anyway, that's a look at the Saturday slate of games. Up next, we're going to dive into some more of what the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network had to offer this week. From a big win to a strange end to a strange period of time in Foxborough. That's all ahead on episode two of Pat's Pulpit, Radio Rewind. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode two 
of Pat's Pulpit Radio Rewind, and it's time to get into the week that was here at the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network. We've covered some of the news, the notes, and even highlighted some college games to keep on your radar if you're looking for something to do on Saturday or some players to scout, because look, it's always draft season. But let's get into the week that was, and we'll kick it off with our Instant Reaction Show. We debuted the Instant Reaction Show shortly after the Patriots win down in Miami over the Dolphins. And Pat Land was your guide through the Instant Reaction Show, and he kicked it off with kind of how everybody felt, I think, after the Patriots' big win down in South Beach. So for this game, obviously it was a Miami game. It was it was ridiculous, uh, an embarrassment, really. Um, you know, the, the offense could do absolutely nothing of Miami. And the Patriots' offense was fine. I think they struggled here and there. And I think you saw that come out, you know, where... It, it is Miami, and it is hot, and they usually do struggle down there. And fortunately for the Patriots, Miami just couldn't get anything going, right? They're just a bad team. And so, you know, on our show on Friday, on the on the uh, Patriot Nation podcast on Friday, Phil Perry said, you know, is the talent disparity just that much that it's just not going to make a difference? And I think that that's really what you saw is that the talent in on Miami's side is just so bad that they just don't have anything going for them. And I think, too— you know, where they already feel like they've given up. That, that's a big part of it, too. Um, and there were some guys playing hard, but, you know, but for the most part, it was just easy. Um, you know, and so a lot of it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun to watch today. And, you know, it's one of those boring games, but I think you got excited for it. Obviously, the Antonio Brown stuff, I don't know. It's hard, right? Some people are excited about it. Some people aren't. I think for me personally, I was excited about it just to see how it played out. Uh, he's a great receiver. He's a great football player. And just to see how he played out on this team, I was excited to see how that worked. Um, it was interesting seeing him there. It didn't didn't feel like Antonio Brown to me, right? Didn't feel like, you know, that guy on Pittsburgh that, that killed us so many times. And so, you know, <clears throat> so to me, it was a little weird seeing him out there. But, man, when they wanted to get the ball to him, they got the ball to him early. They got the ball to him often. The, the back shoulder touchdown was beautiful. And, you know, they were running the ball at will. And Brown Brown played well, man. He only had five catches, um, you know, but uh, but he, he finished well. And I think yeah, it was five for 65, right? Not four for 65? Uh, anyways, I'll, I'll check on that because I'm pretty sure uh, that that's the case. But nevertheless, uh, he looked great. He looked good, you know, coming in and out of his breaks. Like I said, the back shoulder throw was great. And so, you know, Brady looked pretty good today. Brady looked pretty good. And so, you know, look, anytime you win 43 to nothing <laughs> – it's it's pretty good, okay? It's pretty good. And uh, by the way, he's four for fifty six. That's my apologies there. Four for fifty six for Antonio Brown was obviously the touchdown. Uh- Next up, a glorious victory edition of the Sco Show from yours truly. After talking a little bit about the Game of Thrones live concert that I saw on Sunday night, I then walked through this Patriots game and I broke down a sequence of plays from both the offense and the defense it really stood out to me and here's just a snippet of that breaking down a three and out from the Patriots dominant defense but there's a sequence that really sort of stood out to me it, it's when it's 16 nothing New England Ghost just hit a 28 yarder and Even that was an underwhelming moment because Brady, Tom Brady had Antonio Brown open on a vertical route in the end zone and he underthrew it and got broken up. And we're going to talk about the Brady-Brown connection later. So it's 16-0. And again, you have that sort of, okay, this game's probably in hand, but I'd like it to be a better 
I'd like them to have a bigger lead right now. Miami takes over first and 10 with 8.45 left in the third quarter. It's their seventh drive of the game. Miami runs play action. The Patriots have basically an all-out blitz. They send both Landon Roberts and Donta Hightower in the two A-gaps. Danny Shelton, who has been getting pressure to this point and getting good push in the pocket to this point all day long, immediately hits the center with a swim move, gets in the pocket almost as Fitzpatrick is coming out of the play-action fake, gets a couple of hands on him. Fitzpatrick tries to escape. Landon Roberts sort of finishes it off. Sack, loss of seven. So now it brings up second and 17. Now on the second 17, Miami tries to run the ball. They run left side. Butler, again, with similar to Shelton, who had been moving the pocket, getting pushing penetration on the interior all game long. He gets a nice tackle on this run to the outside, to the edge, to his right, along with Patrick Chun, who helps sort of clean this up. It's just a gain of three, but it's a very sort of sound, fundamental type play. Chun gets dinged on the play, but he was back into the game a little bit later. So now it brings up third and 14. Miami goes with that pump swing screen to a receiver in the flat, and they want to throw a vertical route to one of the other two receivers. Is that play we see a ton where... You have two of the receivers released vertically. They look like they're going to block. Then they go. They throw the you know swing screen a couple of times early in the game to set you up for it. Patriots don't bite at all. So Fitzpatrick is forced to just, all right, I guess I'll just check it down anyway. So he checks it down to Grant, who was the receiver on the swing screen. And he goes for a two-yard gain, and they're forced to punt. Patriots take over. On Tuesday, Rich Hill and Alex Shane dropped episode 155 of the Pat's Pulpit podcast, and they covered a ton of ground in this show. But a fantastic subject took place when they broke down the Pittsburgh Steelers. Ben Roethlisberger to the bench, making Fitzpatrick in. What could this mean for the Steelers and what might be a bit of a down year in the AFC overall? Uh, I agree with you, and the same thing can easily be said for the Pittsburgh Steelers in the AFC because they didn't look good against the Patriots. Ben Roethlisberger's throws looked off uh, against them, and I thought that it was more just the defense being stifling, which it was, not to take away from the defense, but whenever a quarterback holds his elbow in a non-contact throwing motion, you know it's trouble. He's done for the year. Do you think the Steelers have any shot at making the playoffs now? Well, they have to hope so because uh, we were talking about the Miami Dolphins being the worst team ever assembled. They traded away one of their bright spots. They traded away Minka Fitzpatrick, last year's like 10th overall pick, to the Pittsburgh Steelers for the Steelers' first-round pick. So if the Steelers are terrible, they are 0-2 right now. If they are terrible the rest of the way, uh, the Dolphins might have a couple of top-10 picks on their hand. And with the, the Steelers' immediate schedule... They're on the road against the 49ers, who are undefeated right now. They have the Bengals team, which is not great, but whatever. Then they got the Ravens and then the Chargers. So this team could very well be 1-5 by their Week 7 bye week. Kind of eases up a little bit after that from a schedule standpoint. They still have the Rams. They got both their games against the Browns. 
This Steelers team was already not looking great prior to Roethlisberger's injury. It looked like they didn't really have an answer for no longer having Antonio Brown on their team. James Conner suffered an injury, so we'll see how he fares. But this is a weak Steelers offense, and it's a defense that is kind of, uh, you know, always mediocre. They, they struggle against the Patriots. They struggle against the Seahawks. They're not a good defense against good offenses. So when it comes down to it, the Steelers have to be pretty happy that this is a weak AFC because uh, if if the AFC had the same amount of depth that the NFC did, the Steelers would be absolutely out of the picture. Now, as a reminder, you can check out Rich and Alec on the Pat's Pulpit podcast two times a week. They do fantastic work breaking down stuff from all around the National Football League. On Wednesday, I welcomed in Taylor Kyles, a, thir- a third visit from Mr. Taylor to the Sco Show, and he broke down this game down in Miami from a number of different angles, but here he is talking about the discipline in the Patriots' secondary. You know, Taylor, let's stick with the secondary for a second because something that jumped out to me watching this game live and then sort of rewatching it was the discipline, like you mentioned. There were double moves, fake screens where they weren't biting on things at all. I take it you noticed that as well, and do you think that's something that's going to continue for this team? I do, and... The reason for that, I mentioned last week, this team kind of reminds me of the Legion of Boom. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to take any credit away from them. That was a fantastic team, different players, different, you know, different system. But in the way that that defense swarmed to the ball, and it seemed like every single time a tackle was made, it was a defensive meeting. You know what I mean? And a lot of the credit to that is the communication and the chemistry that they have in the secondary and with the defense in general. You rarely see them out of position. They communicate well. They pass things off. They understand what each other's assignments are, and they know what each other is really good at and what their strengths and weaknesses are with the scheme and with the talent that they have. So in terms of swarming of the ball, I think that's what happens when you have a lot of guys on the same page who know where offenses need to go with the ball and what the offense is trying to do to them. And it was also encouraging to see that they had a lot of success playing mostly zone uh, for the early part of the game, a lot of split looks, some cover three, uh, cover three match as well, but not as much man coverage as we're used to seeing from them. And you love to see that the defense has the versatility to, like they did with the Rams. Although I thought there were some, you know, uh, some communication lapses there because, as I said, they're not really much of a zone team. But it seemed that they've improved there as well. So that communication, man, it's it's really hard to keep them out of position or catch them off guard. Great stuff from Taylor there, and of course you can find him on Pat's Pulpit and on Twitter at T-K-Y-L-E-S-3-9. Thursday brought you two shows on the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network. First up, episode 156 of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast, where Alec and Rich went through the week three slate, as well as some of what they're hoping to see Sunday when the Jets take on the Patriots. But if the Patriots can handle the interior against the the players on the defensive line for the Jets, specifically Leonard Williams. I mean, if, if I'm pointing out individual players, if they can handle that, I think they'll be fine because, as you mentioned, that Jets secondary is awful. Tremaine Johnson is their big-ticket cornerback, and they benched him. They are paying him a lot of money to not play. And then you have Jamal Adams, who is a great, great, great strong safety. He is truly incredible. They benched him for jumping off sides which is the most ridiculous thing you could do as a coach because Jamal Adams is kind of the heart of that defense. And if you upset him, I wouldn't be surprised if he was like, well, I don't want to play for you guys. I'm not going to, I'm going to protect myself and play for some other teams. So you, you have one good player in Jamal Adams 
And his biggest value for the Jets' defense against the Patriots in the past has been how he matches up against Rob Gronkowski. And if you no longer have a Rob Gronkowski and you are not funneling your offense through a tight end, that kind of just neutralizes the, the Jets' best defensive back by just not giving him an interesting assignment. So you have so many wide receivers on the Patriots that could go out there, whether it's Antonio Brown, if he's still playing, uh, Josh Gordon, Julian Edelman, Philip Dorsett. You can throw in Rex Burkhead and James White because they are also very productive out of the backfield. They win every single matchup. Unless you put Jamal Adams on one of the running backs, which, you know what, if I'm the Jets, I might as well do that. I would expect every single Patriots wide receiver to win their matchup against every single Jets cornerback. That is just the way that it works. And so... I expect the Patriots to have their way moving the ball down the field. I agree with you. I think the Patriots' offensive line is going to be incredibly important. And uh, in order just to give a separate X factor, I think it's going to be important to get the running game going with Sony Michelle. Just because I think that you know you need to keep the defense honest, not have them just dip their head back and go after Tom Brady. Uh, if if you're going to have two new offensive tackles out there. You can't allow them just to key up on Tom Brady and have them blitz him every single time. And Greg Williams is going to just go after Tom Brady, I'm sure. So you need to have a little bit of a running game to keep the linebackers, the defensive line honest. And that'll open up some things for the play action. That'll open up plays for players like Philip Dorsett at that second level against this weak jet secondary. And so if Michelle can get a convincing game going on the ground, the Patriots will win this in a blowout. I'd like to see Michelle get some more reps. He's came, I think, at 85 yards or so against the Dolphins, uh, which which is good, but it wasn't. Again, as the Dolphins, tough to really gauge that too much. The Jets' front is decent. Uh, I'd like to see him become a, a every down back. I really would. I really thought that the 2019 Patriots would run through Sony Michelle as Brady continued to get older, but hasn't been the case so far. Then on episode 17 of the Sco Show, I was joined by Connor Rogers from the Stick to Football podcast from Bleacher Report. And also a big-time Jets fan. He was at that game Monday night, Jets-Browns. And he came up with an incredible rallying cry for the New York Jets as they enter this Week 3 game against their rivals, the Patriots. We did get one listener question via the Scotia Slack channel from Mattia Rizzo, all the way from Italy. And Connor, Mattia wants to know, do the Jets have a fighting chance this Sunday with how the situation at offensive line is shaping up in New England? I mean, I would love to tell you they do, but this is just not the game for the New York Jets. You're going to Foxborough. You're starting Luke Falk. You're missing Chris Herndon. You know, that would be somebody that he can lean on to move the ball a little bit. I don't even see that. Uh, I don't know if C.J. Mosley's going to play. I don't know if Quentin Williams is going to play. It's just not a good – get to the bye week. I mean, get, get to the bye week, week four. Let's see who's back. Let's see who's ready. Uh, it's, you know, and if I'm wrong, you know me, Mark, I'll be the happiest man on the planet. If I'm, if the Jets shock the world, this would be the most shocking Jets win I have ever seen in my life. There's your rallying cry, friends. Get to the bye week. Connor, fantastic stuff. I'll get you out of here on this one. Not asking for a prediction, but, and I think you probably already answered this, your expectations for Sunday. Well, I mean, I've been riding the Patriots covers for two straight weeks, and this is the first week I might not because – It's a big that, number. The line is so big. It's a big number. And, and and Bill will put his foot on the gas against anyone. We just saw him do it against his former assistant, Brian Flores. But it's just such a fat number. I, I don't know. I'll see how it goes. I think it's going to be a pretty boring game, honestly. The Jets defense, I'll give them this credit with Greg. 
and they come out and fight. They, Baker Mayfield, I know the numbers look good, Mark. He did not play very well the right. other night. He missed a lot of throws. I thought the Browns could have won that game by 50 easily, very easily. So I think the Jets' defense will – they'll put up a fight in the first half. They're not going to move the football. They're just not – it just – it honestly very much feels like a 35-6 to kind of game. And that might be – I hate saying that might be a good scenario at that point. Then the week closed out on Friday with the Patriot Nation podcast. Pat Lane, Ryan Spagnoli, they welcomed Evan Lazar into the show. And in this segment, you hear Evan breaking down just what Jamie Collins has meant to this New England defense and his return to Foxborough. So, <laughs> um, okay. But, you know, obviously um, the Dolphins suck, right? So, I mean, but still, 43 nothing. they shut him out, and they looked fantastic. Um you know, versus Pittsburgh, any everything they threw at him, you know, Big Big Ben had no answer for. So, and and that's another kind of topic in in a, that Antonio Brown is kind of taking all the spotlight away from is how good this defense is, right? I mean, obviously it's yeah. been, been talked about, but he's sucking up, you know, 80 percent of the media in this town and nationally. Uh, but they, I mean, they look unbelievable. I mean, talk about the addition of Jamie Collins and what he's been able to do with this defense, the way they've been able to, to, to use him and, and, you know, really get the best out of him. Right. I mean, I don't remember him being this dominant his first time around. Right. Yeah. I think the first time around we the physical flashes were always there. It was consistency. That was kind of a problem with him. And I think what they've, really been kind of surprised by when in his return is how much he's been able to his football IQ and his processing skills and his ability to absorb information from a coaching and a scheming and a game plan standpoint, I think is well beyond where it was when he was here the first time. So he's really grown as a player in that respect and the mental aspects of the game, which allow him to now play on the line of scrimmage and off the line of scrimmage, which typically is a role that they've really only had guys like Hightower, like Kyle Van Noy, uh, back in the day, like Mike Rabel and Ninkovich. Those are always been high football IQ players. That's kind of always been their, their MO. So Jamie Collins was never that type of guy, but he's came come back this time and he's really been that kind of guy. And I think that his versatility has added a lot to that linebacking core because he can run sideline to sideline faster than anybody else that they had. And they can really use him in a lot of different spots and get creative with him. But he's really played a lot on the line of scrimmage. And that's where he was a lot in that Miami game. And he's really just wreaked havoc. You know, tight ends don't have a lot of chances against him to block him because he's quick and he's got a really great first step off the line, like that jet sweep that we saw. You know, he kind of went off script a little bit that and went with more instincts on that play than playing his assignment, which would just to set the edge. But he has such a great <laughs> first step and snap recognition that he was in the backfield before the, it seemed like before the ball was even snapped. And that's why he was able to make that play. And, I think that that's really been kind of a, 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 you know, theme of this entire defense is that they already had kind of the foundation with the secondary, the veteran secondary with Stephon Gilmore obviously leaving the way. But guys like Collins and guys like Danny Shelton and the team's ability to find the right ways to use those players and get the most out of those players has added a really good element to this front seven that maybe they didn't have last year and that they probably needed because they lost Trey Flowers and Trey Flowers was just such a huge part of that 
team success last year. So to get this out of guys like Collins and Butler and Danny Shelton has really been massive for them. And it's, you know, I think we all thought it was going to be Michael Bennett that was going to do all this. And it's not that Bennett's been bad um, by any means, but it's really been those guys that have stepped up the most, I would say. Great insight from CLNS Media's Evan Lazar there coming on with Pat and Spags on Patriot Nation. Unfortunately, that was not the last episode that the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network put out this week because late Friday afternoon, again, we got that word that Antonio Brown was released by the team. So Pat Lane and I sat down and had an emergency podcast breaking down our thoughts on the news that AB had been released. Right. And that's that's really what it comes down to. And, and you, you wonder, like, what changed for the Patriots, right? And I think the biggest thing for me is that this incident happened well while he was on the team. And it's just completely inexcusable. He comes in, he says he's a new guy, he doesn't have any of the issues anymore, nothing else is going to go on. And then he pulls this crap when he's on the team. It's just like, what are you doing? And so that's the thing for me where it's like, you could you could beg away and say, hey, look, you know, things happened and these are allegations that were made and, they, and it happened a long time ago and it's stuff that, you know, we, we, we'll let the courts handle. And then once he takes it into his own hands like that, while he's on the Patriots, then it becomes like, no, we're not dealing with this. There's no chance we're dealing with this. And so I was surprised that they didn't do it right away. I was surprised that he had him at practice. That was the surprising thing to me. I figured if he's at practice today, then that means that he's going to be, you know, that means he'll be, he'll be, uh, he'll be on the team moving forward. But I guess that's not the case. I, yeah. And I wonder if it was a situation they wanted to hear from him. Like it wasn't a situation where they were going to say, look, you know, Stay away from the facility today. We'll talk about this via the phone, whatever. They wanted to look at him, you know, look at his eyes and see exactly what he had to say for himself. And it's clear that what they heard wasn't good. I mean, I can't imagine how how good it could have been given the facts, but they, maybe they wanted one last chance to like look into his eyes and say, look, man, what is going on here? But clearly th- nothing good. And so the Patriots make their move. And now look. It comes at an interesting time, Pat, because we got the Jets coming to town. They're banged up. They're bad right now. I don't think it's going to hurt the New England Patriots to not have them, even though the Patriots are banged up. We don't know about Cannon. James Devlin ruled out. But, a, you know, in a week or so, they got Buffalo. At Buffalo. Buffalo right, right now, 2-0. They look good so far. They looked good last year on the defensive side of the ball against New England when A.B. might have been a nice help to have, an extra weapon. you got to wonder about that Buffalo game now. I don't want to look past the Jets, but that Buffalo game now a little bit scarier than it was when we woke up this morning. Right, and I think Buffalo is legit. I mean, people will laugh at it because, oh, it's the Bills, and the Bills suck. And the, but the Bills have played very well. Their defense has been good. And Josh Allen, although he is erratic at times, you know, ha- has led this offense pretty well. And so I look at that team, and I, I agree with you. I mean, I'm worried. I think the Jets – Look, they could roll with me at at, at wide receiver right. the Jets and probably have a chance. And so, like, I'm not necessarily worried about that. The other thing for me that I that concerns me is Josh Gordon because Gordon's in a situation where, look, I think he he's looking better. His attitude, not his attitude, but the way he sounds is so much better. He sounds happier. He sounds like he's in a much better place than he has been. But the fact is that he hasn't played a full season in a long time. And there is always that concern that something will happen with Josh Gordon. And when you had Antonio Brown on the roster, you had some insurance for that, right? You had a little bit, uh, you know, built in where you were like, okay, if something happens to, to Gordon, at least we have AB. 
Well, now AB's gone. If something happens to Gordon, you're looking awfully thin at wide receiver. And I know you have Nikhil Harry coming back week eight, theoretically assuming he's ready to come back at that point. But, you know, that's that's a concerning part for me. Again, hopefully it's not an issue. We hope that, you know, that Gordon is, is totally fine. There you have it, folks. Some of the best of the week that was here at the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network. That will do it for episode two of Pat's Pulpit Radio Rewind. We'll have an instant reaction for you sometime after the Jets and Patriots square off on Sunday. Then we'll get back into our continual and usual schedule, our usual podcast weekly slate with some hopefully a glorious victory installment of the SCO Show. You'll get two more installments of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. You'll get Patriot Nation on Friday as well as episodes of the Sco show on wednesday and thursday we're bringing you patriots content every single day covering the team that you love until next time friends remember from the patriots players to their coaches to the podcast hosts here at the pat's pulpit podcast network there are no days off 